Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We are so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. I'm going to read a ton of scripture. I am going to set a personal record for passages read in a sermon for me. All right? And in point number one, I'm going to read more passages than any pastor, I believe, has ever read in one single point in all of human history. Okay? Do not fall asleep. I assure you, by the third point, he gets up. Okay? So don't fall asleep during point one. You need to understand the context of what makes the crucifixion, the burial of Jesus, and the resurrection even more powerful than you think it is. All right? So if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to two spots. Exodus chapter 12, you can open up there. We're going to read a lot of Exodus 12. And then you can put a marker in Luke chapter 24. Exodus 12, Luke chapter 24. Now, this weekend, as you saw in the roll-in, I'm starting a new series entitled Beloved, or Beloved, however you want to say it. And we're talking, we're going we're gonna to spend a good amount of time journeying together through the various ways that God shows his extravagant love for us. We're going to take, uh, take a look at some really romantic ways that God shows his love for us. We're going to take a look at some thoroughly theological ways that God shows his love for us. But I can't think of a better series to start on Resurrection Sunday than a series on the love of God. And this message, more than probably any message in this series, is going to take a look at the extravagant expense of this love. Because in order to talk about the resurrection, we've got to talk about the crucifixion. But in order to fully understand the context of the crucifixion, we gotta go way back, all the way to Exodus chapter 12. Now, before we read it, let me give you some context, all right? We are in the midst of the 10 plagues in Egypt, all right? Nine of the plagues have taken place, and we are in between plague number nine and plague number 10. And God is saying to the Israelites in chapter 11 and chapter 12, he says, okay, I'm going to tell you what the 10th plague is going to be. It's the plague of death. But I'm going to give you a way to escape death. And what we're going to read was the plan that God instituted, that he put in place, that must be executed in order to escape death. All right? So let's take a look together. Here's point number one. All right? Jesus is our lamb. Jesus is our lamb. Now, we're going to create a list that, that or, or actually just, I'm going to give you a list that God created in order for us to escape death, going all the way back to Exodus chapter 12, okay? And we'll see if you can kind of catch on what's going on here. Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 1. While the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family 
must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. Okay, in order to escape death, here's the first thing God puts on the list. You have to choose a lamb. Choose a lamb. Keep going. Verse 5, the animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat with no defects. Here's the next thing God puts on the list. The lamb has to be spotless or perfect. He will not accept a blemished sacrifice. Keep going. Skip down to verse 46. Each Passover lamb must be eaten in one house. Do not carry any of its meat outside and do not break any of its bones. All right, here's the third thing. Don't break any of the lamb's bones. God will not accept that sacrifice. Keep going, back to verse six. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. That's the next thing on the list. This sacrifice must be slaughtered at twilight. Now, to help you understand when twilight is, the, the first hour was 6 a.m. The third hour, that means, was 9 a.m. The sixth hour was noon. The ninth hour was 3 p.m. Okay, so in a moment, you're going to see why that's important. But twilight was between 3 p.m. and 6 p.m. when the sun went completely down. All right? The sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb must be killed at twilight. Keep going in verse 7. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and the top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. Here's the next thing God puts on the list. The blood must be applied. Keep going. Verse 8, that same night they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast or unleavened bread. Here's the next thing. Eat the sacrifice. This is where for some of you it might get a little gross. Eat the sacrifice is the next thing God puts on the list for them to escape death. Keep going. Verse 10. Do not leave any of it, any of the body, out until the next morning. Burn whatever is not eaten before morning. Here's the last thing I'm going to show you on this list. Do not leave the body out overnight. All right? These were the qualifications that God established for the Israelites to escape death for their firstborns. Remember, the tenth plague was death for the firstborn. And God says to anyone who walks through these steps, your firstborn will be spared. They will escape death. But anyone who does not take these steps, death will consume their firstborn. Okay, now I've showed you the context Going all the way back to Exodus chapter 12. Now we're going to go to the New Testament and we're going to see just how divinely detailed Jesus' death really was. All right? So let's, let's go back through the list and let's see how many of the boxes, if Jesus really is our lamb, let's see how many of the boxes he checked because if he's going to be our sacrificial lamb, he's got to check every one of the boxes. Let's go to box number one. The lamb. Choose a lamb. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Okay? Choose a lamb. Check. Second box. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. It was the precious blood of Christ 
the sinless, spotless lamb of God. Second box, the lamb must be spotless or perfect. Jesus checked that box. Incidentally, hit the pause button here for a moment. Why is it so important that Jesus never sinned? It is extremely important theologically. Let me help you understand why. If Jesus would have sinned, his death would have had to have been for his sin and could not have been for yours. Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 4 says this, the soul who sins shall die. If Jesus had sinned, he couldn't have died for your sin. Yet 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 22 and verse 24 says Jesus never sinned. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross. God said, if there's going to be a sacrificial lamb that enables you to escape death, the lamb has to be perfect. Can you imagine how difficult? You can't even make it 12 minutes some days without sinning, and neither can I. Jesus walked the face of the earth for nearly three and a half decades and never sinned. Why? Because if he would have, it would have been impossible for him to die for you. Jesus checked the spotless, perfect, sinless sacrifice box. Keep going. Next box, no broken bones. This lamb can't have any broken bones. John chapter 19, verse 31. It was the day of preparation and the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there the next day. Okay, so here's the picture. Jesus and the two thieves are on the crosses. Okay, they are on their respective crosses. It's the day of preparation. The Jewish leaders don't want them hanging there on the Sabbath. The next day was the Sabbath and a very special Sabbath because it was Passover week. So they asked Pilate to hasten or make their deaths come faster by ordering that their legs be broken. Now, why would they do that? Because when you're hanging on a cross, the way to get oxygen back in your lungs was to increase the space in your lungs. And so they would push off of the nail, try and fill up their lungs as best they could, and then come back down. And it would enable them to stay alive longer. So the Jewish leaders say, hey, this has got to be done before nightfall. So let's go break their legs and look what they do. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs. Jesus died without one broken bone. Why is that important? Because had one bone been broken, the sacrifice would not have been accepted. Jesus gave up his spirit before they had a chance to even break one of his bones. His timing was divinely impeccable. The bones cannot be broken. Check. Next box. The lamb has to be slaughtered at twilight. Mark chapter 15, verse 34. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you abandoned me or forsaken me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. Wait, he said, let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. 
Do you see the picture here? God in Exodus chapter 12 says, the lamb must be slaughtered at twilight. Between 3 p.m. and 6 p.m., the lamb must be slaughtered in order for me to receive this as your sacrifice. And it's as though Jesus, obviously not carrying his watch with him, but knowing full well what time it was, the moment it hits 3 o'clock, he knew my time has come. Check the box. It has to happen at twilight. Jesus gives up his spirit between 3 and 6 p.m. Check. Next box. You have to apply the blood. Now, this is one of my favorite ones as we walk through this little exercise because some of you are thinking, okay, where where does Jesus say you have to apply the blood? And you're, you're trying to think through all the scriptures. Here's the great thing. Jesus doesn't just say you have to apply the blood. Remember in Exodus 12, God says, I want you to take the blood of the sacrifice and I want you to put it on both sides of the door and the top of the door frame. Okay, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but can, can you kind of see if you're applying the blood to the sides of the door and the top where gravity is gonna take over and the blood's going to go downward, can anybody see the shape that I happen to be making? Again, divine sarcasm in my opinion. Many, many, many hundreds of years before Christ would die on that cross, God was telling us, this is how it's going to happen. A lamb is going to come and die once and for all. God says, I want you to apply the blood to the doorpost. Apply the blood. Okay, where does Jesus say, apply the blood to the door? Because when God says apply the blood to the doorpost, he says, and then go in through the door and remain there until it's all over. My favorite part about this box is I believe Jesus checked this one twice. He doesn't just say, now I want you to take my blood and apply it to the door of your house. Listen to what he says. John chapter 10, verse 9. I am the door. Jesus just ends it right there. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He doesn't just say apply the blood to the door. He says, I am the door. Just come on in. I'm the only way to the Father. The only way you're going to escape death is through me. I am the door. Check, check, check. Here's the next box. Jesus had to check in order to allow us to accept his sacrifice and escape death. He had to eat the sacrifice. John chapter 6, verse 53. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. Some of you are thinking, how, how do I eat the body and drink the blood of Jesus? Remember what communion is. Jesus, on the night of the Last Supper, gathers his disciples and he says, this bread, he was holding up the unleavened bread, he said, this bread is my body which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood which is shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. Jesus was teaching 
before he even went to the cross. And no one even realized he was actually checking one of the boxes that God had established in Exodus chapter 12. Eat the sacrifice, Jesus says. Check. Next box. Don't leave the body out overnight. John chapter 19, verse 31. It was the day of preparation, and the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there the next day, which was the Sabbath. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, went, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus, asked Pilate for permission to take Jesus' body down. Between three and six, after Jesus gives up his spirit and dies, a wealthy man named Joseph goes to Pilate and says, Please let me take his body down. I'll take care of everything. And before dark falls that night, his body comes down. Had Jesus held on a couple more hours, this box could not have been checked. Jesus' timing was divinely perfect. He checked the box. Now, there's one more box that I believe God and Jesus checked that I didn't put up there. And this is kind of my favorite one. You may have already picked up on this. But Jesus could have been crucified any day, any time, except if he's going to be our Passover lamb. There's only one time he can die. And look at the time he dies. John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus did everything possible. He did everything asked in order to prove that he was your Passover lamb. Not just your atoning sacrifice, but your substitutionary sacrifice. He died in your place as your sacrificial lamb. And he didn't just do it. He checked every box that God established. Now some of you, maybe you don't come to church very often, and maybe Easter is one of the weekends that you come. Thank you for being here today. I don't want you to feel like anybody's looking at you. I'm just glad you're here today. And maybe you're thinking, it just doesn't seem like God is interested in the details of my life. Can you really say that after reading through that list? Can you really say God doesn't care about the details? Do you know why he went through all of those details? To prove his love for you. This was not some random accident where Jesus just came to die. It was planned from the very beginning. That's what 1 Peter says. That before the world began, God chose Jesus as your ransom payment. And when Jesus came to the earth, he had to check every box in order to spare you from eternal death. And here's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He checked every one. He did not leave one box unchecked because if he did, he could not be your sacrifice. That leads us to point number two. This one might be a little gory for some of you. His blood is beautiful. His blood is beautiful. Now, some of you pass out at the mere sight of blood. And some of you that do that are men. 
and you're trying to act all tough right now. But your wife knows the truth, that you just see a little bit of blood, and you start wobbling like a flag in the wind. And some of you even go down, because to you, blood is nasty. But can I ask you a question for anyone who thinks blood is disgusting? If you were one of the parents of an Israelite firstborn in Exodus chapter 12, and the only thing God tells you will spare the life of your firstborn is the blood of the lamb, do you think that night as you listen to the other wailing parents of the Egyptian firstborns as they lose their children, and the only thing that saved your firstborn's life was the blood of the lamb, do you think you'd see blood a little bit more beautifully? Let me go a step further. What if you were one of the firstborn? And you go out the morning of the first Passover and your daddy is applying blood to the doorpost. And you say, Daddy, what are you doing? And your father sits you down and says, I got to tell you something. You are my firstborn, the first child God gave your mother and me. God has spoken and he said tonight, the 10th plague will happen. What's the plague, daddy? It's death. You mean we're all going to die? No. Just you. Just the firstborn. Daddy, I don't want to die. I know. And I don't want you to die. But God's given us a way out. He said if we would apply the blood of the sacrificial lamb, you won't die. Do you think if you were one of the firstborn Israelite children, as you listen to the firstborn Egyptians dying that night, screaming at the top of their lungs, mothers wailing, I don't want to lose you. And you wake up the next morning as if nothing happened the night before. And the only reason you made it through the night was the blood of the lamb. Can I ask you a question? Do you think you might see blood a little bit differently for the rest of your life? Probably so, right? So I want to give you three things that hopefully will help you see the blood in a more beautiful way, all right? Here's the first thing you have to understand about the blood. His blood brings us near. The blood of Jesus brings us near to God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Here's the picture. Perfect God over here, messed up Preston over here. Sin created separation between God and me. Jesus' blood covers every bit of my sin when I make him Lord and Savior of my life, thereby grabbing me because of the blood and bringing me near, close to the Father. Now, some people, you, you, maybe you've never given your life to Jesus before. 
And you're kind of curious, what was it that motivated Jesus to die on the cross for me? Well, well, let me help you understand. It wasn't hell. Hell was not what motivated Jesus to die for you. There were several things, I believe, that highly motivated Jesus to lay his life down for you. And, and this first subpoint helps you understand what one of them is. I believe one of the things that motivated Jesus to lay his life down for you was a love that despises distance. Jesus could not bear the thought of you being separated for a moment or for eternity from your father. But only the blood brings us near to the father, the Bible says. That's one of the things that makes Christ's blood so beautiful. It's his blood that brings us to the Father. Here's the second thing that's so beautiful about the blood. His blood proves we are his. His blood proves we are his. Exodus chapter 11, verse 6. Then a loud wail. Now, this is a chapter before God is, is basically calling his shot. He is letting the Israelites know what he's going to do. Chapter 12, he walks them through how to escape death. But in chapter 11, he tells them this is the plague, death. Then a loud wail will rise throughout the land of Egypt, a wail like no one has heard before or ever will hear again. But among the Israelites, it will be so peaceful that not even a dog will bark. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. Okay, let me help you understand. One of the things God is saying. He's not just talking about the Egyptians and the Israelites. He is also talking about, I am going to make a distinction between those whom I am not with and those whom I am with. I'm going to show you today what life looks like when I'm with you, when I'm not with you. The blood proves we belong to him. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus said it this way. Matthew chapter 25, verse 27. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. I don't know if you know this, but you were created for family. And one of the things I believe that motivated Jesus to lay his life down for you was so that you could be part of the family. Think about it this way. If one of my children, my youngest child is named Preston, and I make a joke, the reason we named him Press was because he's the only one of my three children that looks nothing like me. And so I just wanted everyone to, to make sure they knew, yeah, he's mine too, okay? You look at my other two children and go, yep, they're Prestons. You look at Press and you go, Definitely Holly's, but doesn't look like Preston. Okay, so I gave him my name, all right? But if, if one day, as he gets older, and, and if he starts looking even less like me, if he has the wild thought, do I even belong to my father? Am I really my father's son? Do you know there is a really fast way he could prove whether or not he was my son? Can anybody think of what that is? A blood test. If he takes a blood test, it will confirm the fact that he has my DNA. 
The blood proves my son belongs to me. Listen to me closely. It is the blood of Jesus you apply when you make him your personal Lord and Savior that does in fact prove you belong to the Father. I'll go you one better. Because you might be here going, but, but Preston, I've been so bad, and the reason I'm hesitating to give my life to Jesus is because my behavior is just jacked up. Listen to me closely. It isn't behavior that proves my son belongs to me. It's his blood. It is the blood of Jesus that proves you belong to the Father. That's one of the things that makes the blood so beautiful. Here's the third thing, and really my favorite, that makes Jesus' blood so beautiful. His blood provides forgiveness. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says, For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. One of the things I believe motivated Jesus, and I think this was maybe one of the biggest motivating factors that Jesus had in laying his life down for you, is related to forgiving your sins and forgiving mine. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus before, and you spend the majority of the days of your week beating yourself up because you have a couple of things in your past where you messed up really, really badly. And you've even begun to define yourself and your life by your worst moments. Can I let you in on the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That one of the biggest reasons Jesus laid his life down for you is because he could not bear the thought of your life being defined by your worst moment. But the only way your life could never be defined by your worst moment, your biggest mistakes, is if he spilled his blood to cover all of your sins. Listen to me closely. Jesus could bear the thought of carrying your sins. He could not bear the thought of your life being defined by your biggest mistakes. That abortion doesn't define you. The blood of Jesus covers you. That divorce doesn't define you. The blood of Jesus covers you. If you're looking backwards and defining your life by your worst moment, you need to experience the forgiveness of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because with the shedding of blood, there is forgiveness. Jesus is letting us know I am your lamb. You can escape death only through me. That leads us to the point in the story where he gets up. Flip over to Luke chapter 24. We cannot celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and not read the not child story the historical, accurate narrative that speaks of Jesus Christ 
death, burial, and then resurrection. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1. But very early on Sunday morning, I wonder if it was April Fool's Day then too. Just a random thought. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who was alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And that he would rise again on the third day. He told you this. Then they remembered that he had said this. Okay, if you're here, and maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you're hearing this story for the first time. Jesus is raised from the dead. It begs a question. How in the world was Christ raised from the dead? Brilliant question. Let me answer it. Point number three. Only by his power. Christ was raised from the dead by the power, the perfect all-consuming power of God. Interestingly enough, if you've never given your life to Jesus and you're hearing maybe for the first time that Jesus laid his life down for you, that God's not mad at you, God's not chasing you to punish you, God's chasing you to lavish his love upon you. He's not coming after you to bring up all of your mistakes. He sent his son to die for all of your mistakes. That's what love does. It covers sin. It doesn't expose sin. God's not after you. He's not out to get you. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, and you're hearing that Jesus died for you, maybe for the first time, you might be thinking what several of my friends were thinking before they gave their lives to Christ. Preston, I want to. I really want to give my life to Jesus. But I've tried to get on the right path before and I mess up every time. I I want to do away with the way I've always done things and do things God's way, but I know me. Anytime I've tried, I mess up. Hey, that puts you in great company. I'm right there with you. And so is every believer in Jesus. You might look at some of your friends who've been saved for many years and go, I'm not like them. They're they're so much stronger than I am. And that's why they're able to live the good life. I'm not able to live. I live a bad life because I keep making bad mistakes. No, no, no. Any believer in Jesus that you look upon and see them living what we call new life in Christ is not doing so because they possess some incredible strength. The only way they are living new life in Christ Jesus is the power of God. That's it. I have no good in me. Anything good I do is by the empowerment of God. And before I close... Let me just remind every believer in Jesus, but also speak to every not yet believer in Jesus. 
if you're here today and you want to turn the page, listen to what the Bible says. Romans chapter 6, verse 4, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. Baptism is an outward sign of a spiritual decision that we make to lay our lives down, make Jesus Lord of our lives. For we died and were buried with with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also, not we who are strong, all those who've been baptized with Christ, we may also live new lives. But I'll go you one further. The Bible also says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of every believer in Jesus Christ. One of the greatest deposits in all of human history is that the God of the universe says, Preston, you are going to screw this thing up. But I think it's sweet that you're laying your life down. I'm proud of you for making my son your personal Lord and Savior. But I know you, you're going to mess up. So I'm going to put my power on the inside of you, not because you're a pastor, but because you're one of my children. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. Question, can we all agree that it's pretty impressive power if you have the power to raise somebody from the dead? Is that kind of impressive power? Okay, if you're here and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life and you're afraid you're just going to mess it all up, I've got great news for you. You are going to mess up. But when you make Jesus Lord of your life, you can't mess it up. You might mess up, but God deposits his power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. You know what that means? I have a friend who was a raging alcoholic for more than 30 years. And when he gave his life to Jesus, it was as though he had never had a drop of alcohol before. He's been completely sober for four years now, can be around it and doesn't even think twice about it. Only the power of God can do that. Jesus knew you'd need some help. And when you make him Lord of your life, God puts his power on the inside of you. You can do it, not because you're strong, but because of God's power living on the inside of you, which happens the moment you give your life to Christ. I started this message with what some might call a tradition, the tradition of Passover. I want to end this message with another tradition. In scriptural times, when a father had a daughter who was going to get married, he would establish what was called a dowry or a bride price for his little girl. He would set a price that was so astronomically high and his goal was not to get rich off of his little girl. I believe his goal was to set such a high price that it would eliminate all posers who would try and come her way. 
all people pretending to be someone willing to pay the price for love. But also I believe the reason every daddy set such a high price for his little girl was so that she would wake up every morning for the rest of her life being able to look the one man in the eyes who was willing to pay the price no one else was willing to pay. Do you understand that God, before the foundations of the earth, put a price on your life? And he said, someone, in order for you to live eternally with me, someone is going to have to die in your place for your sin. And the Son of God, Jesus Christ, stepped up and said, I love her that much. No one else jumped in that line. I love her that much. I'll do it. And it was as though the Father said, but you can't just die. There's a long list of details you have to fulfill. And Jesus said, it's okay. That's what love does. I'll do everything you tell me to do. Just let me lay my life down for her, for him. I love her. And I want her, I want him to wake up every morning for the rest of their life, knowing I love them more than anybody else ever will or ever even could. Father, I'll do it. You might be asking, why would anybody go to such great lengths for one person? The answer is simple. Love. He loves you. God of the universe is obsessed with you. But Preston, I messed up. I got some ugly stuff in my past. Stop talking about that stuff. Jesus died to cover all of that. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, today can be your day. The only thing standing in the way is not him. He did everything he was supposed to do. Now it's your turn. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.